Question 14, Part 1 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, Initial Questions. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Question 14 of God's Knowledge. Having considered what belongs to the divine substance, we have now to treat of God's operation. And since one kind of operation is imminent, and another kind of operation proceeds to the exterior effect, we treat first of knowledge and of will, for understanding abides in the intelligent agent, and will is in the one who wills, and afterwards of the power of God, the principle of the divine operation, as proceeding to the exterior effect. Now because to understand is a kind of life, after treating of the divine knowledge, we consider the divine life. And as knowledge concerns truth, we consider truth and falsehood. Further, as everything known is in the knower, and the types of things as existing in the knowledge of God are called ideas, to the consideration of knowledge will be added the treatment of ideas. Concerning knowledge, there are sixteen points for inquiry. Whether there is knowledge in God. Whether God understands himself. Whether he comprehends himself. Whether his understanding is his substance. Whether he understands other things besides himself. Whether he has a proper knowledge of them. Whether the knowledge of God is discursive whether the knowledge of God is the cause of things, whether God has knowledge of non-existing things, whether he has knowledge of evil, whether he has knowledge of individual things, whether he knows the infinite, whether he knows future contingent things, whether he knows enunciable things, whether the knowledge of God is variable, and whether God has speculative or practical knowledge of things. First article, whether there is knowledge in God. Objection 1. It seems that in God there is not knowledge, for knowledge is a habit, and habit does not belong to God, since it is the mean between potentiality and act. Therefore knowledge is not in God. Objection 2. Further, since science is about conclusions, it is a kind of knowledge caused by something else which is the knowledge of principles. But nothing is caused in God, therefore science is not in God. Objection 3. Further, all knowledge is universal or particular. But in God there is no universal or particular, therefore in God there is no knowledge. On the contrary, the Apostle says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God. I answer that in God there exists most perfect knowledge. To prove this, we must note that intelligent beings are distinguished from non-intelligent beings in that the latter possess only their own form, whereas the intelligent being is naturally adapted to have also the form of some other thing. For the idea of the thing known is in the knower, hence it is manifest that the nature of a non-intelligent being is more contracted and limited, 
whereas the nature of an intelligent beings has a greater amplitude and extension. Therefore the philosopher says that the soul is in a sense all things. Now the contraction of the form comes from the matter. Hence, as we have said above, forms, according as they are the more immaterial, approach more nearly to a kind of infinity. Therefore it is clear that the immateriality of a thing is the reason why it is cognitive, and according to the mode of immateriality is the mode of knowledge. Hence it is said in De Anima that plants do not know because they are wholly material, but sense is cognitive because it can receive images free from matter, and the intellect is still further cognitive because it is more separated from matter and unmixed, as said in De Anima, since therefore God is in the highest degree of immateriality, as stated above, it follows that he occupies the highest place in knowledge. Reply to Objection 1. Because perfections flowing from God to creatures exist in a higher state in God himself, whenever a name taken from any created perfection is attributed to God, it must be separated in its signification from anything that belongs to that imperfect mode proper to creatures. Hence knowledge is not a quality of God, nor habit, but substance and pure act. Reply to Objection 2. Whatever is divided and multiplied in creatures exists in God simply and unitedly. Now man has different kinds of knowledge according to the different objects of his knowledge. He has intelligence as regards the knowledge of principles. He has science as regards knowledge of conclusions. He has wisdom according as he knows the highest cause. He has counsel or prudence according as he knows what is to be done. But God knows all these by one simple act of knowledge, as will be shown. Hence the simple knowledge of God can be named by all these names, in such a way, however, that there must be removed from each of them, so far as they enter into divine predication, everything that savors of imperfection. And everything that expresses perfection is to be retained in them. Hence it is said, with him is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and understanding. Reply to Objection 3. Knowledge is according to the mode of the one who knows. For the thing known is in the knower according to the mode of the knower. Now since the mode of the divine essence is higher than that of creatures, divine knowledge does not exist in God after the mode of created knowledge, so as to be universal or particular or habitual or potential or existing according to any such mode. Second article, whether God understands himself. Objection 1. It seems that God does not understand himself, for it is said by the philosopher, every knower who knows his own essence returns completely to his own essence. But God does not go out from his own essence, nor is he moved at all. Thus he cannot return to his own essence. Therefore he does not know his own essence. Objection 2. Further, to understand is a kind of passion and movement, as the philosopher says, and knowledge also is a kind of assimilation to the th object known, and the thing known is, in the perfect, is the perfection of the knower. But nothing is moved or suffers or is made perfect by itself, nor, as Hilary says, is a thing its own likeness. Therefore God does not understand himself. 
Objection 3. Further, we are like to God chiefly in our intellect, because we are the image of God in our mind, as Augustine says. But our intellect understands itself only as it understands other things, as is said in De Anima. Therefore God understands himself only so far as perchance he understands other things. On the contrary, it is written, The things that are of God no man knoweth but the Spirit of God. I answer that, God understands himself through himself. In proof whereof it must be known that although in operations which pass to an external effect, the object of the operation, which is taken as the term, exists outside the operator, nevertheless in operations that remain in the operator, the object signified as the term of the operation resides in the operator, and accordingly as it is in the operator, the operation is actual. Hence the philosopher says that the sensible in act is sense in act, and the intelligible in act is intellect in act. For the reason why we actually feel or know a thing is because our intellect or sense is actually informed by the sensible or intelligible species. And because of this only it follows that sense or intellect is distinct from the sensible or intelligible object, since both are in potentiality. Since therefore God has nothing in him of potentiality but his pure act, his intellect and his object are altogether the same, so that he neither is without the intelligible species, as is the case with our intellect when it understands potentially, nor does the intelligible species differ from the substance of the divine intellect, as it differs in our intellect when it understands actually, but the intelligible species itself is the divine intellect itself, and thus God understands himself through himself. Reply to Objection 1. Return to its own essence means only that a thing subsists in itself. Inasmuch as the form perfects the matter by giving it existence, it is in a certain way diffused in it, and it returns to itself inasmuch as it has existence in itself. Therefore, those cognitive faculties which are not subsisting but are acts of organs do not know themselves, as is the case of each of the senses. Whereas those cognitive faculties which are subsisting know themselves. Hence it is said in De Causis that whoever knows his essence returns to it. Now it supremely belongs to God to be self-subsisting. Hence according to this mode of speaking, he supremely returns to his own essence and knows himself. Reply to Objection 2. Movement and passion are taken equivocally according as to understand is described as a kind of movement or passion as stated in De Anima. For to understand is not a movement that is an act of something imperfect passing from one to another, but it is an act existing in the agent itself of something perfect. Likewise, that the intellect is perfected by the intelligible object, that is, is assimilated to it, this belongs to an intellect which is sometimes in potentiality, because the fact of its being in a state of potentiality makes it differ from the intelligible object and assimilates it there to, through the intelligible species which is in the likeness of the thing understood and makes it to be perfected thereby as potentiality is perfected by act. On the other hand, the divine intellect which is in no way in potentiality is not perfected by the intelligible object nor is it assimilated thereto but is its own perfection and its own intelligible object. Reply to Objection 3. 
Existence in nature does not belong to primary matter, which is a potentiality, unless it is reduced to act by a form. Now our passive intellect has the same relation to intelligible objects as primary matter has to natural things. For it is in potentiality as regards intelligible objects, just as primary matter is to natural things. Hence our passive intellect can be exercised concerning intelligible objects only so far as it is perfected by the intelligible species of something, and in that way it understands itself by an intelligible species as it understands other things. For it is manifest that by knowing the intelligible object, it understands also its own act of understanding, and by this act knows the intellectual faculty. But God is pure act in the order of existence, as also in the order of intelligible objects. Therefore, he understands himself through himself. Third article, whether God comprehends himself. Objection one, it seems that God does not comprehend himself, for Augustine says that whatever comprehends itself is finite as regards itself. But God is always infinite. Therefore, he does not comprehend himself. Objection 2. If it is said that God is infinite to us and finite to himself, it can be urged to the contrary that everything in God is truer than it is in us. If therefore God is finite to himself but infinite to us, then God is more truly finite than infinite, which is against what was laid down above. Therefore, God does not comprehend himself. On the contrary, Augustine says that everything that understands itself comprehends itself. But God understands himself, therefore he comprehends himself. I answer that God perfectly comprehends himself, as can be thus proved. A thing is said to be comprehended when the end of the knowledge of it is attained, and this is accomplished when it is known as perfectly as it is knowable. As, for instance, a demonstrable proposition is comprehended when known by demonstration, not, however, when it is known by some probable reason. Now it is manifest that God knows himself as perfectly as he is perfectly knowable. For everything is knowable according to the mode of its own actuality, since a thing is not known according as it is in potentiality, but insofar as it, as it is in actuality, as said in metaphysics. Now the power of God in knowing is as great as his actuality in existing, because it is from the fact that he is in act and free from all matter and potentiality that God is cognitive, as shown above. Whence it is manifest that he knows himself as much as he is knowable. And for that reason, he perfectly comprehends himself. Reply to Objection 1. The strict meaning of comprehension signifies that one thing holds and includes another, and in this sense everything comprehended is finite, as also is everything included in another. But God is not said to be comprehended by himself in this sense, as if his intellect were a faculty apart from himself, and as if it held and included himself, for these modes of speaking are to be taken by way of negation. But as God is said to be in himself, for as much as he is not contained by anything outside of himself, so he is said to be comprehended by himself, for as much as nothing in himself is hidden from himself. For Augustine says, the whole is comprehended when seen, if it is seen in such a way that nothing of it is hidden from the seer. Reply to objection 2. When it is said, God is finite to himself, this is to be understood according to a certain similitude of proportion, because he has the same relation in not excluding his intellect 
as anything finite has and not excluding finite intellect but god is not to be called finite to himself in this sense as if he understood himself to be something finite fourth article whether the act of god's intellect is his substance objection one it seems that the act of god's intellect is not his substance for to understand is an operation but an operation signifies something proceeding from the operator therefore the act of god's intellect is not his substance objection two further to understand one's act of understanding is to understand something that is neither great nor chiefly understood but secondary and accessory if therefore god be his own act of understanding his act of understanding will be as when we understand our act of understanding and thus god's act of understanding will not be something great objection three further every act of understanding means understanding something when therefore god understands himself if he himself is not distinct from this act of understanding he understands that he understands himself and so on to infinity therefore the act of god's intellect is not his substance on the contrary augustine says in god to be is the same as to be wise but to be wise is the same thing as to understand therefore in god to be is the same thing as to understand but god's existence is his substance as shown above therefore the act of god's intellect is his substance i answer that it must be said that the act of god's intellect is his substance for if his act of understanding were other than his substance then something else as the philosopher says would be the act and perfection of the divine substance to which the divine substance would be related as potentiality is to act which is altogether impossible because the act of understanding is the perfection and act of the one understanding let us now consider how this is as was laid down above to understand is not an act passing to anything extrinsic for it remains in the operator as his own act and perfection as existence is the perfection of the one existing just as existence follows on the form so in like manner to understand follows on the intelligible species now in god there is no form which is something other than his existence as shown above hence as his essence itself is also his intelligible species it necessarily follows that his act of understanding must be his essence and his existence thus it follows from all the foregoing that in god intellect and the object understood and the intelligible species and his act of understanding are entirely one and the same hence when god is said to be understanding no kind of multiplicity is attached to his substance reply to objection one to understand is not an operation proceeding out of the operator but remaining in him reply to objection two when that act of understanding which is not subsistent is understood something not great is understood as when we understand our act of understanding and so this cannot be likened to the act of the divine understanding which is subsistent thus appears the reply to the third objection for the act of divine understanding subsists in itself and belongs to its very self and is not another's hence it need not proceed to infinity fifth article whether god knows things other than himself 
Objection 1. It seems that God does not know things besides himself, for all other things but God are outside of God. But Augustine says that God does not behold anything out of himself. Therefore, he does not know things other than himself. Objection 2. Further, the object understood is the perfection of the one who understands. If therefore God understands other things besides himself, something else will be the perfection of God and will be nobler than he, which is impossible. Objection 3. Further, the act of understanding is specified by the intelligible object, as is every other act from its own object. Hence, the intellectual act is so much nobler, the nobler the object understood. But God is his own intellectual act. If therefore God understands anything other than himself, then God himself is specified by something else than himself, which cannot be. Therefore, he does not understand things other than himself. On the contrary, it is written, all things are naked and open to his eyes. I answer that God necessarily knows things other than himself. For it is manifest that he perfectly understands himself. Otherwise his existence would not be perfect, since his existence is his act of understanding. Now if anything is perfectly known, it follows of necessity that its power is perfectly known. But the power of anything can be perfectly known only by knowing to what its power extends. Since therefore the divine power extends to other things by the very fact that it is the first effective cause of all things, as is clear from the aforesaid, God must necessarily know things other than himself. And this appears still more plainly if we add that the very existence of the first effective cause, namely God, is his own act of understanding. Hence, whatever effects pre-exist in God, as in the first cause, must be in his act of understanding, and all things must be in him according to an intelligible mode. For everything which is in another is in it according to the mode of that in which it is. Now, in order to know how God knows things other than himself, we must consider that a thing is known in two ways, in itself and in another a thing is known in itself when it is known by the proper species adequate to the knowable object as when the eye sees a man through the image of a man a thing is seen in another through the image of that which contains it as when a part is seen in the whole by the image of the whole or when a man is seen in a mirror by the image in the mirror or by any other mode by which one thing is seen in another so we say that God sees himself in himself because he sees himself through his essence, and he sees other things not in themselves, but in himself, inasmuch as his essence contains the similitude of things other than himself. Reply to Objection 1. The passage of Augustine in which it is said that God sees nothing outside himself is not to be taken in such a way as if God saw nothing outside himself, but in the sense that what is outside himself he does not see except in himself, as above explained. Reply to objection 2. The object understood is a perfection of the one understanding, not by its substance, but by its image, according to which it is in the intellect as its form and perfection, as said in the De Anima. For a stone is not in the soul, but its image. Now those things which are other than God are understood by God inasmuch as the essence of God contains their images as above explained. Hence it does not follow that there is any perfection in the divine intellect other than the divine essence. 
Reply to Objection 3. The intellectual act is not specified by what is understood in another, but by the principal object understood in which other things are understood. For the intellectual act is specified by its object inasmuch as the intelligible form is the principle of the intellectual operation. Since every operation is specified by the form which is its principle of operation as heating by heat. Hence the intellectual operation is specified by that intelligible form which makes the intellect in act. And this is the image of the principal thing understood, which in God is nothing but his own essence, in which all images of things are comprehended. Hence it does not follow that the divine intellectual act, or rather God himself, is specified by anything else than the divine essence itself. Sixth article, whether God knows things other than himself by proper knowledge. Objection 1. It seems that God does not know things other than himself by proper knowledge, for as was shown, God knows things other than himself according as they are in himself. But other things are in him as in their common and universal cause, and are known to God as in their first and universal cause. This is to know them by general and not by proper knowledge. Therefore God knows things beside himself by general and not by proper knowledge. Objection 2. Further, the created essence is as distinct from the divine essence as the divine essence is distinct from the created essence. But the divine essence cannot be known by the created essence as said above. Therefore neither can the created essence be known by the divine essence. Thus, as God knows only by his essence, it follows that he does not know what the creature is in its essence, so as to know what it is, which is have proper knowledge of it. Objection 3. Further, proper knowledge of a thing can come only through its proper ratio, that is, concept. But as God knows all things by his essence, it seems that he does not know each thing by its proper ratio. For one thing cannot be the proper ratio of many and diverse things. Therefore God has not a proper knowledge of things, but a general knowledge. For to know things otherwise than by their proper ratio is to have only a common and general knowledge of them. On the contrary, to have a proper knowledge of things is to know them not only in general, but as they are distinct from each other. Now God knows things in that manner. Hence it is written that he reaches even to the division of the soul and the spirit of the joints also, and the marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart, neither is there any creature invisible in his sight. I answer that some have erred on this point, saying that God knows things other than himself only in general, that is, only as beings. For as fire, if it knew itself as the principle of heat, would know the nature of heat, and all things else in so far as they are hot, so God through knowing himself as a principle of being, knows the nature of being and all other things so far as they are beings. But this cannot be. For to know a thing in general and not in particular is to have an imperfect knowledge. Hence our intellect, when it is reduced from potentiality to act, acquires first a universal and confused knowledge of things before it knows them in particular, as proceeding from the imperfect to the perfect, as is clear from the physics, if therefore the knowledge of God regarding things other than himself is only universal and not special, would follow that his understanding would not be absolutely perfect. Therefore neither would his being be perfect, and this is against what was said above. We must therefore hold that God knows things other than himself with a proper knowledge, not only in so far as being is common to them, 
but in so far as one is distinguished from the other. In proof thereof, we may observe that some wishing to show that God knows many things by one, bring forward some examples, as for instance, that if the center knew itself, it would know all lines that proceed from the center, or if light knew itself, it would know all colors. Now these examples, although they are similar in part, namely as regards universal causality, nevertheless fail in this respect, that multitude and diversity are caused by the one universal principle, not as regards that which is the principle of distinction, but only as regards that in which they communicate. For the diversity of colors is not caused by the light only, but by the different dispositions of the diaphanous medium which receives it, and likewise the diversity of the lines is caused by their different position. Hence it is that this kind of diversity and multitude cannot be known in its principle by proper knowledge, but only in a general way. In God, however, it is otherwise. For it was shown above that whatever perfection exists in any creature, wholly pre-exists and is contained in God in an excelling manner. Now not only what is common to creatures, namely being, belongs to their perfection, but also what makes them distinguished from each other, as living and understanding and the like, whereby living beings are distinguished from the non-living, and the intelligent from the non-intelligent. Likewise every form, whereby each thing is constituted in its own species, is a perfection, and thus all things pre-exist in God, not only as regards what is common to all, but also as regards what distinguishes one thing from another. And therefore, as God contains all perfections in himself, the essence of God is compared to all other essences of things, not as the common to the proper, as unity to numbers, or as the center of a circle to the radiating lines, but as perfect acts to imperfect, as if I were to compare man to animal, or six, a perfect number, to the imperfect numbers contained under it. Now it is manifest that by a perfect act, imperfect acts can be known not only in general, but also by proper knowledge. Thus, for example, whoever knows a man knows an animal by proper knowledge, and whoever knows the number six knows the number three also by proper knowledge. As therefore the essence of God contains in itself all the perfection contained in the essence of any other being, and far more, God can know in himself all of them with proper knowledge. For the nature proper to each thing consists in some degree of participation in the divine perfection. Now God could not be said to know himself perfectly unless he knew all the ways in which his own perfection can be shared by others. Neither could he know the very nature of being perfectly unless he knew all modes of being. Hence it is manifest that God knows all things with proper knowledge in their distinctness from each other. Reply to objection 1. So to know a thing as it is in the knower may be understood in two ways. In one way this adverb so imports the mode of knowledge on the part of the thing known, and in that sense it is false, for the knower does not always know the object known according to the existence it has in the knower, since the eye does not know a stone according to the existence it has in the eye, but by the image of the stone which is in the eye, the eye knows the stone according to its existence outside the eye. And if any knower has a knowledge of the object known according to the mode of existence it has in the knower, the knower nevertheless knows it according to its mode of existence outside the knower. 
Thus the intellect knows a stone according to the intelligible existence it has in the intellect, inasmuch as it knows that it understands, while nevertheless it knows what a stone is of its own nature. If, however, the adverb so be understood to import the mode of knowledge on the part of the knower, in that sense it is true that only the knower has knowledge of the object known as it is in the knower. For the more perfectly the thing known is in the knower, the more perfect is the mode of knowledge. We must therefore say that God not only knows that all things are in himself, but by the fact that they are in him, he knows them in their own nature, and all the more perfectly, the more perfectly each one is in him. Reply to Objection 2. The created essence is compared to the essence of God as the imperfect to the perfect act. Therefore the created essence cannot sufficiently lead us to the knowledge of the divine essence, but rather the converse. Reply to Objection 3. The same thing cannot be taken in an equal manner as the ratio of different things, but the divine essence excels all creatures, hence it can be taken as the proper ratio of each thing according to the diverse ways in which diverse creatures participate in and imitate it. Seventh article whether the knowledge of God is discursive. Objection 1. It seems that the knowledge of God is discursive. For the knowledge of God is not habitual knowledge, but actual knowledge. Now the philosopher says, The habit of knowledge may regard many things at once, but actual understanding regards only one thing at a time. Therefore, as God knows many things, himself and others, as shown above, it seems that he does not understand all at once, but discourses from one to the other. Objection 2. Further, discursive knowledge is to know the effect through its cause, but God knows things through himself as an effect is known through its cause, therefore his knowledge is discursive. Objection 3. Further, God knows each creature more perfectly than we know it, but we know the effects in their created causes, and thus we go discursively from causes to things caused. Therefore it seems that the same applies to God. On the contrary, Augustine says, God does not see all things in their particularity or separately, as if he saw alternatively here and there, but he sees all things together at once. I answer that in the divine knowledge there is no discursion, the proof of which is as follows. In our knowledge there is a twofold discursion. One is according to succession only, as when we have actually understood anything, we turn ourselves to understand something else while the other mode of discursion is according to causality, is when through principles we arrive at the knowledge of conclusions. The first kind of discursion cannot belong to God, for many things which we understand in succession, if each is considered in itself, we understand simultaneously if we see them in some one thing. If, for instance, we understand the parts in the whole, or see different things in a mirror. Now God sees all things in one thing, which is himself. Therefore God sees all things together and not successively. Likewise, the second mode of discursion cannot be applied to God, first because this second mode of discursion presupposes the first mode, for whosoever proceeds from principles to conclusions does not consider both at once. Secondly, because to discourse thus is to proceed from the known to the unknown. Hence it is manifest that when the first is known, the second is still unknown, and thus the second is known not in the first, but from the first. Now the turn of discursive reasoning is attained when the second is seen in the first by resolving the effects into their causes, and then the discursion ceases. Hence, as God sees if 
effects in himself as their cause, his knowledge is not discursive. Reply to Objection 1. Although there is only one act of understanding in itself, nevertheless many things may be understood in one medium, as shown above. Reply to Objection 2. God does not know by their cause, known as it were previously, effects unknown, but he knows the effects in the cause, and hence his knowledge is not discursive, as it was shown above. Reply to Objection 3. God sees the effects of created causes in the causes themselves much better than we can but still not in such a manner that the knowledge of the effects is caused in him by the knowledge of the created causes, as is the case with us, and hence his knowledge is not discursive. Eighth article, whether the knowledge of God is the cause of things. Objection 1. It seems that the knowledge of God is not the cause of things. For Origen says on Romans, whom he called them he also justified. A thing will happen not because God knows it as future, but because it is future, it is on that account known by God before it exists. Objection 2. Further, given the cause, the effect follows, but the knowledge of God is eternal. Therefore, if the knowledge of God is the cause of things created, it seems that creatures are eternal. Objection 3. Further, the thing known is prior to knowledge and is its measure, as the philosopher says. But what is posterior and measured cannot be a cause. Therefore, the knowledge of God is not the cause of things. On the contrary, Augustine says, not because they are does God know all creatures, spiritual and temporal, but because he knows them, therefore they are. I answer that the knowledge of God is the cause of things. For the knowledge of God is to all creatures what the knowledge of the artificer is to the things made by his art. Now the knowledge of the artificer is the cause of the things made by his art from the fact that the artificer works by his intellect. Hence the form of the intellect must be the principle of action as heat is the principle of heating. Nevertheless, we must observe that a natural form, being a form that remains in that to which it gives existence, denotes a principle of action according only as it has an inclination to an effect. And likewise, the intelligible form does not denote a principle of action insofar as it resides in the one who understands, unless there is added to it the inclination to an effect, which inclination is through the will. For since the intelligible form has a relation to opposite things, inasmuch as the same knowledge relates to opposites, it would not produce a determinate effect unless it were determined to one thing by the appetite, as the philosopher says. Now it is manifest that God causes things by his intellect, since his being is his act of understanding, and hence his knowledge must be the cause of things, insofar as his will is joined to it. Hence the knowledge of God as the cause of things is usually called the knowledge of approbation. Reply to Objection 1. Origen speaks in reference to that aspect of knowledge to which the idea of causality does not belong unless the will is joined to it, as is said above. But when he says the reason why God foreknows some things is because they are future, this must be understood according to the cause of consequence and not according to the cause of essence. Where things are in the future, it follows that God knows them, but not that the futurity of things is the cause why God knows them. Reply to Objection 2. 
The knowledge of God is the cause of things according as things are in His knowledge. Now, that thing should be eternal was not in the knowledge of God. Hence, although the knowledge of God is eternal, it does not follow that creatures are eternal. Reply to Objection 3. Natural things are midway between the knowledge of God and our knowledge. For we receive knowledge from natural things, of which God is the cause by His knowledge. Hence, as the natural objects of knowledge are prior to our knowledge and are its measure, so the knowledge of God is prior to natural things and is the measure of them. As, for instance, a house is midway between the knowledge of the builder who made it and the knowledge of the one who gathers his knowledge of the house from the house already built. The end of question 14. Part 1. Question 14, part 2 of Summa Theologica, pars prima initial questions. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Ninth article, whether God has knowledge of things that are not. Objection 1. It seems that God has not knowledge of things that are not, for the knowledge of God is of true things. But truth and being are convertible terms. Therefore, the knowledge of God is not of things that are not. Objection 2. Further, knowledge requires likeness between the knower and the thing known. But those things that are not cannot have any likeness to God, who is very being. Therefore, what is not cannot be known by God. Objection 3. Further, the knowledge of God is the cause of what is known by Him. But it is not the cause of things that are not, because a thing that is not has no cause. Therefore God has no knowledge of things that are not. On the contrary, the apostle says, Who calleth those things that are not as those that are? I answer, that God knows all things, whosoever that in any way are. Now it is possible that things that are not absolutely should be in a certain sense. For things absolutely are which are actual, whereas things which are not actual are in the power either of God himself or of a creature, whether in active power or passive, whether in power of thought or of imagination, or of any other manner of meaning whatsoever. Whatever therefore can be made or thought or said by the creature, as also whatever he himself can do, all are known to God, although they are not actual and insofar as it can be said that he has knowledge even of things that are not. Now a certain difference is to be noted in the consideration of those things that are not actual. For though some of them may not be in act now, still they were or they will be. And God is said to know all these with the knowledge of vision. For since God's act of understanding, which is his being, is measured by eternity, and since eternity is without succession, comprehending all time, the present glance of God extends over all time and to things which exist in any time as to objects present to him. But there are things in God's power or the creatures which nevertheless are not, nor will be, nor were. And as regards these, he is said to have knowledge not of vision, but of simple intelligence. This is so called because the things we see around us have distinct being outside the seer. 
Reply to Objection 1. Those things that are not actual are true insofar as they are in potentiality, for it is true that they are in potentiality, and as such they are known by God. Reply to Objection 2. Since God is very being, everything is insofar as it participates in the likeness of God, as everything is hot insofar as it participates in heat. So things in potentiality are known by God, although they are not in act. Reply to Objection 3. The knowledge of God joined to His will is the cause of things. Hence it is not necessary that whatever God knows is or was or will be, but only is this necessary as regards what He wills to be or permits to be. Further, it is in the knowledge of God not that they be, but that they be possible. Tenth article, whether God knows evil things. Objection 1. It seems that God does not know evil things. For the philosopher says that the intellect which is not in potentiality does not know privation, but evil is the privation of good, as Augustine says. Therefore, as the intellect of God is never in potentiality, but is always in act, as is clear from the foregoing, it seems that God does not know evil things. Objection 2. Further, all knowledge is either the cause of the thing known or is caused by it. But the knowledge of God is not the cause of evil, nor is it caused by evil. Therefore, God does not know evil things. Objection 3. Further, everything known is known either by its likeness or by its opposite. But whatever God knows, He knows through His essence, as is clear from the foregoing. Now, the divine essence neither is the likeness of evil, nor is evil contrary to it, for to the divine essence there is no contrary, as Augustine says. Therefore, God does not know evil things. Objection 4. Further, what is known through another and not through itself is imperfectly known. But evil is not known by God, for the thing known must be in the knower. Therefore, if evil is known through another, namely through good, it would be known by him imperfectly, which cannot be, for the knowledge of God is not imperfect. Therefore, God does not know evil things. On the contrary, it is written, Hell and destruction are before God. I answer that whoever knows a thing perfectly must know all that can be accidental to it. Now there are some good things to which corruption by evil may be accidental. Hence God would not know good things perfectly unless he knows evil things. Now a thing is knowable in the degree in which it is. And since this is the essence of evil, that it is the privation of good, by the fact that God knows good things, he knows evil things also, as by light is known darkness. Hence Dionysius says, God through himself receives the vision of darkness, not otherwise seeing darkness except through light. Reply to Objection 1. The saying of the philosopher must be understood as meaning that the intellect, which is not in potentiality, does not know privation by privation existing in it. And this agrees with what he said previously, that a point and every indivisible thing are known by privation of division. This is because simple and indivisible forms are in our intellect, not actually, but only potentially. For were they actually in our intellect, they would not be known by privation. It is thus that simple things are known by separate substances. God therefore knows evil not by privation existing in himself, but by the opposite good. Reply to objection 2. The knowledge of God is not the cause of evil, but is the cause of the good whereby evil is known. 
Reply to Objection 3. Although evil is not opposed to the divine essence, which is not corruptible by evil, it is opposed to the effects of God, which He knows by His essence, and knowing them, He knows the opposite evils. Reply to Objection 4. To know a thing by something else only belongs to imperfect knowledge, if that thing is of itself knowable. But evil is not of itself knowable, forasmuch as the very nature of evil means the privation of good. Therefore evil can neither be defined nor known except by good. Eleventh article, whether God knows singular things. Objection 1. It seems that God does not know singular things, for the divine intellect is more immaterial than the human intellect. Now the human intellect, by reason of its immateriality, does not know singular things. But as the philosopher says, reason has to do with universals, sense with singular things. Therefore God does not know singular things. Objection 2. Further in us, those faculties alone know the singular which receive the species not abstracted from material conditions. But in God things are in the highest degree abstracted from all materiality. Therefore God does not know singular things. Objection 3. Further, all knowledge comes about through the medium of some likeness. But the likeness of singular things, insofar as they are singular, does not seem to be in God. For the principle of singularity is matter, which since it is in potentiality only, is altogether unlike God, who is pure act. Therefore God cannot know singular things. On the contrary, it is written, All the ways of a man are open to his eyes. I answer that God knows singular things. For all perfections found in creatures pre-exist in God in a higher way, as is clear from the foregoing. Now to know singular things is part of our perfection. Hence God must know singular things. Even the philosopher considers it incongruous that anything known by us should be unknown to God. And thus against Empedocles he argues that God would be most ignorant if he did not know discord. Now the perfections which are divided among inferior beings exist simply and unitedly in God. Hence although by one faculty we know the universal and immaterial, and by another we know singular and material things, Nevertheless, God knows both by his simple intellect. Now some, wishing to show how this can be, said that God knows singular things by universal causes. For nothing exists in any singular thing that does not arise from some universal cause. They give the example of an astrologer who knows all the universal movements of the heavens and can thence foretell all eclipses that are to come. This, however, is not enough. For singular things from universal causes attain to certain forms and powers which, however they may be joined together, are not individualized except by individual matter. Hence, he who knows Socrates because he is white or because he is the son of Sophroniscus or because of something of that kind would not know him insofar as he is this particular man. Hence, according to the aforesaid mode, God would not know singular things in their singularity. On the other hand, others have said that God knows singular things by the application of universal causes to particular effects. But this will not hold. 
forasmuch as no one can apply a thing to another unless he first knows that thing. Hence the said application cannot be the reason of knowing the particular, for it presupposes the knowledge of singular things. Therefore, it must be said otherwise, that since God is the cause of things by his knowledge, as stated above, his knowledge extends as far as his causality extends. Hence, as the active power of God extends not only to forms, which are the source of universality, but also to matter, as we shall prove further on, the knowledge of God must extend to singular things which are individualized by matter. For since he knows things other than himself by his essence, as being the likeness of things, or as their active principle, his essence must be the sufficing principle of knowing all things made by him, not only in the universal, but also in the singular. The same would apply to the knowledge of the artificer, if it were productive of the whole thing and not only of the form. Reply to Objection 1. Our intellect abstracts the intelligible species from the individualizing principles. Hence the intelligible species in our intellect cannot be the likeness of the individual principles, and on that account our intellect does not know the singular. But the intelligible species in the divine intellect, which is the essence of God, is immaterial not by abstraction, but of itself, being the principle of all the principles which enter into the composition of things, whether principles of the species or principles of the individual. Hence by it God knows not only universal, but also singular things. Reply to Objection 2. Although as regards the species in the divine intellect, its being has no material conditions like the images received in the imagination and sense, yet its power extends to both immaterial and material things. Reply to Objection 3. Although matter as regards its potentiality recedes from likeness to God, yet even in so far as it has being in this wise, it retains a certain likeness to the divine being. Twelfth article, whether God can know infinite things. Objection 1. It seems that God cannot know infinite things, for the infinite as such is unknown, since the infinite is that to those who measure it leaves always something more to be measured, as the philosopher says. Moreover, Augustine says that whatever is comprehended by knowledge is bounded by the comprehension of the knower. Now infinite things have no boundary, therefore they cannot be comprehended by the knowledge of God. Objection 2. Further, if we say that things infinite in themselves are finite in God's knowledge, against this it may be urged that the essence of the infinite is that it is untraversable, and the finite that it is traversable, as said in physics. But the infinite is not traversable either by the finite or by the infinite, as is proved in physics. Therefore, the infinite cannot be bounded by the finite, nor even by the infinite. And so the infinite cannot be finite in God's knowledge, which is infinite. Objection 3. Further, the knowledge of God is a measure of what is known, but it is contrary to the essence of the infinite that it be measured. Therefore, infinite things cannot be known by God. On the contrary, Augustine says, although we cannot number the infinite, nevertheless it can be comprehended by him whose knowledge has no bounds. I answer, that since God knows not only things actual, but also things possible to himself or to created things, as shown above, 
And as these must be infinite, it must be held that he knows infinite things. Although the knowledge of vision, which has relation only to things that are, or will be, or were, is not of infinite things, as some say. For we do not say that the world is eternal, nor that generation and movement will go on forever, so that individuals be infinitely multiplied. Yet if we consider more attentively, we must hold that God knows infinite things even by the knowledge of vision. For God knows even the thoughts and affections of hearts which will be multiplied to infinity as rational creatures go on forever. The reason of this is to be found in the fact that the knowledge of every knower is measured by the mode of the form which is the principle of knowledge. For the sensible image in sense is the likeness of only one individual thing and can give the knowledge of only one individual. But the intelligible species of our intellect is the likeness of the thing as regards its specific nature, which is participable by infinite particulars. Hence our intellect, by the intelligible species of man, in a certain way knows infinite men, not, however, as distinguished from each other, but as communicating in the nature of the species. And the reason is, because the intelligible species of our intellect is the likeness of man not as to the individual principles, but as to the principles of the species. On the other hand, the divine essence, whereby the divine intellect understands, is a sufficing likeness of all things that are or can be, not only as regards the universal principles, but also as regards the principles proper to each one, as shown above. Hence it follows that the knowledge of God extends to infinite things, even as distinct from each other. Reply to Objection 1. The idea of the infinite pertains to quantity, as the philosopher says, but the idea of quantity implies the order of parts. Therefore, to know the infinite according to the mode of the infinite is to know part after part, and in this way the infinite cannot be known, for whatever quantity of parts be taken, there will always remain something else outside. But God does not know the infinite or infinite things as if he enumerated part after part, since he knows all things simultaneously and not successively, as said above. Hence, there is nothing to prevent him from knowing infinite things. Reply to objection 2. Transition imports a certain succession of parts, and hence it is that the infinite cannot be traversed by the finite, nor by the infinite. But equality suffices for comprehension, because that is said to be comprehended which has nothing outside the comprehender. Hence it is not against the idea of the infinite to be comprehended by the infinite, and so what is infinite in itself can be called finite to the knowledge of God as comprehended, but not as if it were traversable. Reply to Objection 3. The knowledge of God is the measure of things, not quantitatively, for the infinite is not subject to this kind of measure, but it is the measure of the essence and truth of things. For everything has truth of nature according to the degree in which it imitates the knowledge of God as the thing made by art agrees with the art. Granted, however, an actually infinite number of things, for instance, an infinitude of men, or an infinitude in continuous quantity, as an infinitude of air, as some of the ancients held, yet it is manifest that these would have a determinate and finite being, because their being would be limited to some determinate nature, hence they would be measurable as regards the knowledge of God. 
Thirteenth article, whether the knowledge of God is of future contingent things. Objection one. It seems that the knowledge of God is not of future contingent things, for from a necessary cause proceeds a necessary effect. But the knowledge of God is the cause of things known, as said above. Since therefore that knowledge is necessary, what he knows must also be necessary. Therefore the knowledge of God is not of contingent things. Objection 2. Further, every conditional proposition of which the antecedent is absolutely necessary must have an absolutely necessary consequent. For the antecedent is to the consequent as principles are to the conclusion. And from necessary principles only a necessary conclusion can follow as is proved in the posterior analytics. But this is a true conditional proposition. If God knew that this thing will be, it will be. For the knowledge of God is only of true things. Now the antecedent conditional of this is absolutely necessary because it is eternal and because it is signified as past. Therefore the consequent is also absolutely necessary. Therefore whatever God knows is necessary. And so the knowledge of God is not of contingent things. Objection 3. Further, everything known by God must necessarily be because even what we ourselves know must necessarily be. And, of course, the knowledge of God is much more certain than ours. But no future contingent things must necessarily be. Therefore, no contingent future thing is known by God. On the contrary, it is written, He who hath made the hearts of every one of them, who understandeth all their works, that is, of men. Now the works of men are contingent, being subject to free will. Therefore God knows future contingent things. I answer that. Since as was shown above, God knows all things, not only things actual, but also things possible to him and creature. And since some of these are future contingent to us, it follows that God knows future contingent things. In evidence of this, we must consider that a contingent thing can be considered in two ways. First, in itself, insofar as it is now in act. And in this sense, it is not considered as future, but as present. Neither is it considered as contingent, as having reference to one of two terms, but as determined to one. And on account of this, it can be infallibly the object of certain knowledge. For instance, to the sense of sight, as when I see that Socrates is sitting down. In another way, a contingent thing can be considered as it is in its cause, and in this way it is considered as future and as a contingent thing not yet determined to one, forasmuch as a contingent cause has relation to opposite things, and in this sense a contingent thing is not subject to any certain knowledge. Hence, whoever knows a contingent effect in its cause only has merely a conjectural knowledge of it. Now God knows all contingent things not only as they are in their causes, but also as each one of them is actually in itself. And although contingent things become actual successively, nevertheless God knows contingent things not successively, as they are in their own being, as we do, but simultaneously. The reason is because his knowledge is measured by eternity, as is also his being and eternity being simultaneously whole comprises all time, as said above. Hence all things that are in time are present to God from eternity, not only because he has the types of things present within him, as some say, but because his glance is carried from eternity over all things as they are in their presentiality. 
Hence, it is manifest that contingent things are infallibly known by God, inasmuch as they are subject to the divine sight in their presentiality. Yet they are future contingent things in relation to their own causes. Reply to Objection 1. Although the supreme cause is necessary, the effect may be contingent by reason of the proximate contingent cause, just as the germination of a plant is contingent by reason of the proximate contingent cause, although the movement of the sun, which is the first cause, is necessary. So likewise, things known by God are contingent on account of their proximate causes, while the knowledge of God, which is the first cause, is necessary. Replied to objection to some say that this antecedent, God knew this contingent to be future, is not necessary but contingent, because although it is past, still it imports relation to the future. This, however, does not remove necessity from it, for whatever has had relation to the future must have had it, although the future sometimes does not follow. On the other hand, some say that this antecedent is contingent, because it is compound of necessary and contingent as this saying is contingent, Socrates is a white man. This is also to no purpose, for when we say God knew this contingent to be future, contingent is used here only as the matter of the word and not as the chief part of the proposition. Hence its contingency or necessity has no reference to the necessity or contingency of the proposition or to its being true or false. For it may be just as true that I said a man is an ass as that I said Socrates runs or God is, and the same applies to necessary and contingent. As it must be said that this antecedent is absolutely necessary, nor does it follow, as some say, that the consequent is absolutely necessary, because the antecedent is the remote cause of the consequent, which is contingent by reason of the proximate cause. But this is to no purpose, for the conditional would be false, were its antecedent the remote necessary cause, and the consequent a contingent effect, as for example if I said, if the sun moves, the grass will grow. Therefore we must reply otherwise, that when the antecedent contains anything belonging to an act of the soul, the consequent must be taken not as it is in itself, but as it is in the soul. For the existence of a thing in itself is different from the existence of a thing in the soul. For example, when I say, what the soul understands is immaterial, this is to be understood, that it is immaterial as it is in the intellect, not as it is in itself. Likewise, if I say, if God knew anything, it will be, the consequent must be understood as it is subject to the divine knowledge, that is, as it is in its presentiality. And thus it is necessary, as also is the antecedent, for everything that is, while it is, must be necessarily as the philosopher says in the Parahymenaeus. Reply to Objection 3. Things reduced to act in time, as known by us, successively in time, but by God are known in eternity, which is above time. Whence to us they cannot be certain, forasmuch as we know future contingent things as such. But they are certain to God alone, whose understanding is in eternity above time. Just as he who goes along the road does not see those who come after him, whereas he who sees the whole road from a height sees at once all traveling by the way. Hence what is known by us must be necessary even as it is in itself, for what is future contingent in itself cannot be known by us, whereas 
what is known by God must be necessary according to the mode in which they are subject to the divine knowledge, as already stated, but not absolutely as considered in their own causes. Hence also this proposition, everything known by God must necessarily be, is usually distinguished, for this may refer to the thing or to the saying. If it refers to the thing, it is divided and false, for the sense is everything which God knows is necessary. If it is understood of the saying, it is composite and true, for the sense is, this proposition, that which is known by God is, is necessary. Now some urge an objection and say that this distinction holds good with regard to forms that are separable from the subject. Thus, if I said, it is possible for a white thing to be black, it is false as applied to the saying, and true as applied to the thing. For a thing which is white can become black, whereas this saying, a white thing is black, can never be true. But in forms that are inseparable from the subject, this distinction does not hold. For instance, if I said, a black crow can be white, for in both senses it is false. Now, to be known by God is inseparable from the thing, for what is known by God cannot be known. This objection, however, would hold if these words, that which is known, implied any disposition inherent to the subject, but since they import an act of the knower, something can be attributed to the thing known in itself, even if it always be known, which is not attributed to it in so far as it stands under actual knowledge. Thus material existence is attributed to a stone in itself, which is not attributed to it inasmuch as it is known. Fourteenth article. Whether God knows enunciable things. Objection 1. It seems that God does not know enunciable things, for to know enunciable things belongs to our intellect as it composes and divides. But in the divine intellect there is no composition, therefore God does not know enunciable things. Objection 2. Further, every kind of knowledge is made through some likeness, but in God there is no likeness of enunciable things, since he is altogether simple Therefore God does not know enunciable things. On the contrary, it is written, The Lord knoweth the thoughts of men. But enunciable things are contained in the thoughts of men. Therefore God knows enunciable things. I answer that since it is in the power of our intellect to form enunciations, and since God knows whatever is in his own power, or in that of creatures, as said above, it follows of necessity that God knows all enunciations that can be formed. Now, just as he knows material things immaterially and composite things simply, so likewise he knows enunciable things not after the manner of enunciable things, as if in his intellect there were composition or division of enunciations, for he knows each thing by simple intelligence by understanding the essence of each thing, as if we, by the very fact that we understand what man is, were to understand all that can be predicated of man. This, however, does not happen in our intellect, which discourses from one thing to another, forasmuch as the intelligible species represents one thing in such a way as not to represent another, Hence, when we understand what man is, we do not forthwith understand other things which belong to him, but we understand them one by one according to a certain succession. On this account, the things we understand as separated 
we must reduce to one by way of composition or division by forming an enunciation now the species of the divine intellect which is god's essence suffices to represent all things hence by understanding his essence god knows the essences of all things and also whatever can be accidental to them reply to objection one this objection would avail if god knew enunciable things after the manner of enunciable things reply to objection two enunciatory composition signifies some existence of a thing and thus god by his existence which is his essence is the similitude of all those things which are signified by enunciation fifteenth article whether the knowledge of god is variable objection one it seems that the knowledge of god is variable for knowledge is related to what is knowable but whatever imports relation to creatures is applied to god from time and varies according to the variation of creatures therefore the knowledge of god is variable according to the variation of creatures objection two further whatever god can make he can know but god can make more things than he does therefore he can know more than he knows thus his knowledge can vary according to increase and diminution objection three further god knew that christ would be born but he does not know now that christ will be born because christ is not to be born in the future therefore god does not know everything he once knew and thus the knowledge of god is variable i answer on the contrary it is said that in god there is no change nor shadow of alteration since the knowledge of god is his substance as is clear from the foregoing just as his substance is altogether immutable as shown above so his knowledge likewise must be altogether invariable reply to objection one lord creator and the like import relations to creatures in so far as they are in themselves but the knowledge of god imports relation to creatures in so far as they are in god because everything is actually understood according as it is in the one who understands now created things are in god in an invariable manner while they exist variably in themselves we may also say that lord creator and the like import the relations consequent upon the acts which are understood as terminating in the creatures themselves as they are in themselves and thus these relations are attributed to god variously according to the variation of creatures but knowledge and love and the like import relations consequent upon the acts which are understood to be in god and therefore these are predicated of god in an invariable way reply to objection to god knows also what he can make and does not make hence from the fact that he can make more than he makes it does not follow that he can know more than he knows unless this be referred to the knowledge of vision according to which he is said to know those things which are in act in some period of time but from the fact that he knows some things might be which are not or that some things might not be which are does not follow that his knowledge is variable but rather that he knows the variability of things if however anything existed which god did not previously know and afterwards knew then his knowledge would be variable but this could not be 
For whatever is or can be in any period of time is known by God in His eternity. Therefore, from the fact that a thing exists in some period of time, it follows that it is known by God from eternity. Therefore, it cannot be granted that God can know more than He knows, because such a proposition implies that first of all He did not know, and then afterwards knew. Reply to Objection 3. The ancient nominalists said that it was the same thing to say Christ is born, and will be born, and was born, because the same thing is signified by these three, namely the nativity of Christ. Therefore it follows, they said, that whatever God knew, he knows, because now he knows that Christ is born, which means the same thing as that Christ will be born. This opinion, however, is false, both because the diversity in the parts of a sentence causes a diversity of enunciations, and because it would follow that a proposition which is true once would always be true, which is contrary to what the philosopher lays down when he says that this sentence, Socrates sits, is true when he is sitting and false when he rises up. Therefore, it must be conceded that this proposition is not true whatever God knew he knows, if referred to enunciable propositions. But because of this, it does not follow that the knowledge of God is variable. For as it is without variation in the divine knowledge that God knows one and the same thing some time to be and some time not to be, so it is without variation in the divine knowledge that God knows an enunciable proposition is sometimes true and sometimes false. The knowledge of God, however, would be variable if he knew enunciable things by way of enunciation, by composition and division as occurs in our intellect. Hence our knowledge varies either as regards truth and falsity, for example, if when either as regards truth or falsity, if when a thing suffers change we retained the same opinion about it, or as regards diverse opinions, as if we first thought that anyone was sitting and afterwards thought that he was not sitting, neither of which can be in God. Sixteenth article, whether God has a speculative knowledge of things. Objection one. It seems that God has not a speculative knowledge of things, for the knowledge of God is the cause of things, as shown above, but speculative knowledge is not the cause of the things known. Therefore, the knowledge of God is not speculative. Objection 2. Further, speculative knowledge comes by abstraction from things, which does not belong to the divine knowledge. Therefore, the knowledge of God is not speculative. On the contrary, whatever is the more excellent must be attributed to God. But speculative knowledge is more excellent than practical knowledge, as the philosopher says in the beginning of the metaphysics. Therefore God has a speculative knowledge of things. I answer that some knowledge is speculative only, some is practical only, and some is partly speculative and partly practical. In proof whereof it must be observed that knowledge can be called speculative in three ways. First, on the part of the things known, which are not operable by the knower. Such is the knowledge of man about natural or divine things. Secondly, as regards the manner of knowing, as for instance, if a builder consider a house by defining and dividing, and considering what belongs to it in general, for this is to consider operable things in a speculative manner, and not as practically operable. For operable means the application of form to matter, and not 
the resolution of the composite into its universal formal principles. Thirdly, as regards the end, for the practical intellect differs in its end from the speculative, as the philosopher says. For the practical intellect is ordered to the end of the operation, whereas the end of the speculative intellect is the consideration of the truth. Hence, if a builder should consider how a house can be made, not ordering this to the end of operation, but only to know how to do it, this would be only a speculative consideration as regards the end, although it concerns an operable thing. Therefore, knowledge which is speculative by reason of the thing itself known is merely speculative. But that which is speculative either in its mode or as to its end is partly speculative and partly practical, and when it is ordained to an operative end, it is simply practical. In accordance with this, therefore, it must be said that God has of himself a speculative knowledge only, for he himself is not operable. But of all other things he has both speculative and practical knowledge. He has speculative knowledge as regards the mode, for whatever we know speculatively in things, by defining and dividing, God knows all this much more perfectly. Now, of things which he can make, but does not make at any time, he has not a practical knowledge, according as knowledge is called practical from the end, but he has a practical knowledge of what he makes in some period of time. And as regards evil things, although they are not operable by him, yet they fall under his practical knowledge like good things, inasmuch as he permits or impedes or directs them as also sicknesses fall under the practical knowledge of the physician, inasmuch as he cures them by his art. Reply to Objection 1. The knowledge of God is the cause, not indeed of himself, but of other things. He is actually the cause of some, that is, of things that come to be in some period of time, and he is virtually the cause of others, that is, of things which he can make, but which nevertheless are never made. Reply to Objection 2. The fact that knowledge is derived from things known does not essentially belong to speculative knowledge, but only accidentally insofar as it is human. In answer to what is objected, on the contrary, we must say that perfect knowledge of operable things is obtainable only if they are known insofar as they are operable. Therefore, since the knowledge of God is in every way perfect, he must know what is operable by him formally as such, and not only in so far as they are speculative. Nevertheless, this does not impair the nobility of his speculative knowledge, forasmuch as he sees all things other than himself in himself, and he knows himself speculatively, and so in the speculative knowledge of himself he possesses both speculative and practical knowledge of all other things. The end of question 14. Part 2. Question 15 of Summa Theologica Pars Prima Initial Questions. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica Pars Prima Initial Questions 
by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 15 of Ideas. After considering the knowledge of God, it remains to consider ideas, and about this there are three points of inquiry, whether there are ideas, whether they are many or one only, and whether there are ideas of all things known by God. First article, whether there are ideas. Objection 1. It seems that there are no ideas, for Dionysius says that God does not know things by ideas, but ideas are for nothing else except that things may be known through them. Therefore, there are no ideas. Objection 2. Further, God knows all things in himself, as has been already said, but he does not know himself through an idea, neither therefore other things. Objection 3. Further, an idea is considered to be the principle of knowledge and action, but the divine essence is a sufficient principle of knowing and effecting all things. It is not therefore necessary to suppose ideas. On the contrary, Augustine says, such is the power inherent in ideas that no one can be wise unless they are understood. I answer that it is necessary to suppose ideas in the divine mind, for the Greek word idea is in Latin forma. Hence, by ideas are understood the forms of things existing apart from the things themselves. Now the form of anything existing apart from the thing itself can be for one of two ends, either to be the type of that of which it is called the form, or to be the principle of the knowledge of that thing, inasmuch as the forms of things knowable are said to be in him who knows them. In either case we must suppose ideas, as is clear from the following reason. In all things not generated by chance, the form must be the end of any generation whatsoever. But an agent does not act on account of the form, except insofar as the likeness of the form is in the agent, as may happen in two ways. For in some agents the form of the thing to be made pre-exists according to its natural being, as in those that act by their nature, as a man generates a man, or fire generates fire. Whereas in other agents, the form of the thing to be made pre-exists according to intelligible being, as in those that act by the intellect, and thus the likeness of a house pre-exists in the mind of the builder. And this may be called the idea of the house, since the builder intends to build his house like to the form conceived in his mind. As then the world was not made by chance, but by God acting by his intellect, as will appear later, there must exist in the divine mind a form to the likeness of which the world was made, and in this the notion of an idea consists. Reply to Objection 1. God does not understand things according to an idea existing outside himself. Thus Aristotle rejects the opinion of Plato, who held that ideas existed of themselves and not in the intellect. Reply to Objection 2. Although God knows himself and all else by his own essence, yet his essence is the operative principle of all things except of himself. It has therefore the nature of an idea with respect to other things, 
though not with respect to himself. Reply to Objection 3. God is the similitude of all things according to his essence. Therefore, an idea in God is identical with his essence. Second article, whether ideas are many. Objection 1. It seems that ideas are not many, for an idea in God is his essence, but God's essence is one only. Therefore, there is only one idea. Objection 2. Further, as the idea is the principle of knowing and operating, so are art and wisdom. But in God there are not several arts or wisdoms. Therefore, in him there is no plurality of ideas. Objection 3. Further, if it be said that ideas are multiplied according to their relations to different creatures, it may be argued on the contrary that the plurality of ideas is eternal. If then ideas are many, but creatures temporal, then the temporal must be the cause of the eternal. Objection 4. Further, these relations are either real in creatures only or in God also. If in creatures only, since creatures are not from eternity, the plurality of ideas cannot be from eternity, if ideas are multiplied only according to these relations. But if they are real in God, it follows that there is a real plurality in God other than the plurality of persons, and this is against the teaching of Damascene, who says, In God all things are one, except ingenerability, generation, and procession. Ideas, therefore, are not many. On the contrary, Augustine says, Ideas are certain principal forms or permanent and immutable types of things, they themselves not being formed. Thus they are eternal and existing always, in the same manner as being contained in the divine intelligence. Whilst, however, they themselves neither come into being nor decay, yet we say that in accordance with them everything is formed that can rise or decay, and all that actually does so. I answer that. It must necessarily be held that ideas are many, in proof of which it is to be considered that in every effect the ultimate end is the proper intention of the principal agent as the order of an army is the proper intention of the general. Now the highest good existing in things is the good of the order of the universe, as the philosopher clearly teaches. Therefore the order of the universe is properly intended by God and is not the accidental result of a succession of agents, as has been supposed by those who have taught that God created only the first creature and that this creature created the second creature, and so on, until this great multitude of beings was produced. According to this opinion, God would have the idea of the first created thing alone, whereas if the order itself of the universe was created by him immediately and intended by him, he must have the idea of the order of the universe. Now there cannot be an idea of any whole, unless particular ideas are had of those parts of which the whole is made, just as a builder cannot conceive the idea of a house unless he has the idea of each of its parts. So then it must needs be that in the divine mind there are the proper ideas of all things. Hence Augustine says that each thing was created by God according to the idea proper to it, from which it follows that in the divine mind ideas are many. 
Now it can easily be seen how this is not repugnant to the simplicity of God, if we consider that the idea of a work is in the mind of the operator as that which is understood, and not as the image whereby he understands, which is a form that makes the intellect in act. For the form of the house in the mind of the builder is something understood by him, to the likeness of which he forms the house in matter. Now it is not repugnant to the simplicity of the divine mind that it understand many things, though it would be repugnant to its simplicity were his understanding to be formed by a plurality of images. Hence many ideas exist in the divine mind as things understood by it, as can be proved thus. Inasmuch as he knows his own essence perfectly, he knows it according to every mode in which it can be known. Now it can be known not only as it is in itself, but as it can be participated in by creatures according to some degree of likeness. But every creature has its own proper species according to which it participates in some degree in likeness to the divine essence. So far, therefore, as God knows his essence as capable of such imitation by any creature, he knows it as the particular type and idea of that creature, and in like manner as regards other creatures. So it is clear that God understands many particular types of things, and these are many ideas. Reply to Objection 1. The divine essence is not called an idea in so far as it is that essence, but only in so far as it is the likeness or type of this or that thing. Hence ideas are said to be many, inasmuch as many types are understood through the self-same essence. Reply to Objection 2. By wisdom and art we signify that by which God understands, but an idea that which God understands. For God by one understands many things, and that not only according to what they are in themselves, but also according as they are understood, and this is to understand the several types of things. In the same way, an architect is said to understand a house, when he understands the form of the house and matter, but if he understands the form of a house as devised by himself from the fact that he understands that he understands it, he thereby understands the type or idea of the house. Now, not only does God understand many things by his essence, but he also understands that he understands many things by his essence. And this means that he understands the several types of things, or that many ideas are in his intellect as understood by him. Replied to Objection 3, such relations whereby ideas are multiplied are caused not by the things themselves, but by the divine intellect comparing its own essence with these things. Reply to Objection 4, relations multiplying ideas do not exist in created things, but in God. Yet they are not real relations such as those whereby the persons are distinguished, but relations understood by God. Third article, whether there are ideas of all things that God knows. Objection 1. It seems that there are not ideas in God of all things that he knows. For the idea of evil is not in God, since it would follow that evil was in him. But evil things are known by God, therefore there are not ideas of all things that God knows. Objection 2. Further, God knows things that neither are, nor will be, nor have been, as has been said above. But of such things there are no ideas, since as Dionysius says, acts of the divine will are the determining and effective types of things. 
Therefore there are not in God ideas of all things known by Him. Objection 3. Further, God knows primary matter of which there can be no idea, since it has no form. Hence the same conclusion. Objection 4. Further, it is certain that God knows not only species, but also genera, singulars, and accidents. But there are not ideas of these, according to Plato's teaching, who first taught ideas, as Augustine says. Therefore, there are not ideas in God of all things known by him. On the contrary, ideas are types existing in the divine mind, as is clear from Augustine. But God has the proper types of all things that he knows, and therefore he has ideas of all things known by him. I answer that, as ideas, according to Plato, are principles of the knowledge of things and of their generation, an idea has this twofold office as it exists in the mind of God. So far as the idea is the principle in the making of things, it may be called an exemplar and belongs to practical knowledge. But so far as it is a principle of knowledge, it is properly called a type and may belong to speculative knowledge also. As an exemplar, therefore, it has respect to everything made by God in any period of time. Whereas a principle of knowledge, it has respect to all things known by God, even though they never come to be in time, and to all things that he knows according to their proper type, insofar as they are known by him in a speculative manner. Reply to Objection 1. Evil is known by God not through its own type, but through the type of good. Evil, therefore, has no idea in God, neither insofar as the idea is an exemplar nor as a type. Reply to Objection 2. God has no practical knowledge except virtually of things which neither are nor will be nor have been. Hence, with respect to these, there is no idea in God insofar as idea signifies an exemplar, but only insofar as it denotes a type. Reply to Objection 3. Plato is said by some to have considered matter as not created, and therefore he postulated not an idea of matter, but a concause with matter. Since, however, we hold matter to be created by God, though not apart from form, matter has its idea in God, but not apart from the idea of the composite, for matter in itself can neither exist nor be known. Reply to Objection 4. Genus can have no idea apart from the idea of species, insofar as idea denotes an exemplar, for genus cannot exist except in some species. The same is the case with those accidents that inseparably accompany their subject, for these come into being along with their subject. But accidents which supervene to the subject have their special idea, for an architect produces through the form of the house all the accidents that originally accompany it, whereas those that are superadded to the house when completed, such as painting or any other such thing, are produced through some other form. Now individual things, according to Plato, have no other idea than that of species, both because particular things are individualized by matter, which as some say he held to be uncreated, and the concause with the idea, and because the intention of nature regards the species and produces individuals only that in them the species may be preserved. However, divine providence extends not merely to species, but to individuals, as will be shown later. The end of question 15.
Question 16 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, Initial Questions. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, Initial Questions by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 16. Of Truth. Since knowledge is of things that are true, after the consideration of the knowledge of God, we must inquire concerning truth. About this there are eight points of inquiry. Whether truth resides in the thing or only in the intellect whether it resides only in the intellect composing and dividing, on the comparison of the true to being, on the comparison of the true to the good, whether God is truth, whether all things are true by one truth or by many, on the eternity of truth, and on the unchangeableness of truth. First article, whether truth resides only in the intellect. Objection 1. It seems that truth does not reside only in the intellect, but rather in things. For Augustine condemns this definition of truth, that is true which is seen, since it would follow that stones hidden in the bosom of the earth would not be true stones, as they are not seen. He also condemns the following, that is true which is as it appears to the knower who is willing and able to know, for hence it would follow that nothing would be true unless someone could know it. Therefore he defines truth thus, that is true which is. It seems then that truth resides in things and not in the intellect. Objection 2. Further, whatever is true is true by reason of truth. If then truth is only in the intellect, nothing will be true except insofar as it is understood. But this is the error of the ancient philosophers who said that whatever seems to be true is so. Consequently, mutual contradictories seem to be true as seen by different persons at the same time. Objection 3. Further, that on account of which a thing is so is itself more so, as is evident from the philosopher. But it is from the fact that a thing is or is not that our thought or word is true or false, as the philosopher teaches. Therefore, truth resides rather in things than in the intellect. On the contrary... The philosopher says the true and the false reside not in things, but in the intellect. I answer that. As the good denotes that towards which the appetite tends, so the true denotes that towards which the intellect tends. Now there is this difference between the appetite and the intellect, or any knowledge whatever, that knowledge is according as the thing known is in the knower, whilst appetite is according as the desirer tends towards the thing desired. Thus the term of the appetite, namely good, is in the object desirable, and the term of the intellect, namely true, is in the intellect itself. Now as good exists in a thing, so far as that thing is related to the appetite, and hence the aspect of goodness passes on from the desirable thing to the appetite, in so far as the appetite is called good, if its object is good. So, 
since the true is in the intellect in so far as it is conformed to the object understood the aspect of the true must needs pass from the intellect to the object understood so that also the thing understood is said to be true in so far as it has some relation to the intellect now a thing understood may be in relation to an intellect either essentially or accidentally it is related essentially to an intellect on which it depends as regards its essence but accidentally to an intellect by which it is knowable even as we may say that a house is related essentially to the intellect of the architect but accidentally to the intellect upon which it does not depend now we do not judge of a thing by what is in it accidentally but by what is in it essentially hence everything is said to be true absolutely in so far as it is related to the intellect from which it depends and thus it is that artificial things are said to be true as being related to our intellect for a house is said to be true that expresses the likeness of the form of in the architect's mind and words are said to be true so far as they are the signs of truth in the intellect in the same way natural things are said to be true in so far as they express the likeness of the species that are in the divine mind for a stone is called true which possesses the nature proper to a stone according to the preconception in the divine intellect thus then truth resides primarily in the intellect and secondarily in things according as they are related to the intellect as their principle consequently there are various definitions of truth augustine says truth is that whereby is made manifest that which is and hilary says truth makes being clear and evident and this pertains to truth according as it is in the intellect as to the truth of things in so far as they are related to the intellect we have augustine's definition truth is a supreme likeness without any unlikeness to a principle also anselm's definition truth is rightness perceptible by the mind alone for that is right which is in accordance with the principle also avicenna's definition the truth of each thing is a property of the essence which is immutably attached to it the definition that truth is the equation of thought and thing is applicable to it under either aspect reply to objection one augustine is speaking about the truth of things and excludes from the notion of this truth relation to our intellect for what is accidental is excluded from every definition Reply to objection two: the ancient philosophers held that the species of natural things did not proceed from any intellect but were produced by chance but as they saw that truth implies relation to intellect they were compelled to base the truth of things on their relation to our intellect from this conclusions result that are inadmissible and which the philosopher refutes such however do not follow if we say that the truth of things consists in their relation to the divine intellect reply to objection three although the truth of our intellect is caused by the thing yet it is not necessary that truth should be there primarily any more than that health should be primarily in medicine rather than in the animal for the virtue of medicine and not its health is the cause of health for here the agent is not univocal 
In the same way, the being of the thing, not its truth, is the cause of truth in our intellect. Hence the philosopher says that a thought or a word is true from the fact that a thing is, not because a thing is true. Second article, whether truth resides only in the intellect composing and dividing. Objection 1. It seems that truth does not reside only in the intellect composing and dividing. For the philosopher says that as the senses are always true as regards their proper sensible objects, so is the intellect as regards what a thing is. Now composition and division are neither in the senses nor in the intellect knowing what a thing is. Therefore truth does not reside only in the intellect composing and dividing. Objection 2. Further, Isaac says in his book on definitions that truth is the equation of thought and thing. Now just as the intellect with regard to complex things can be equated to things, so also with regard to simple things. And this is true also of sense apprehending a thing as it is. Therefore truth does not reside only in the intellect composing and dividing. On the contrary, the philosopher says that with regard to simple things and what a thing is, truth is found neither in the intellect nor in things. I answer that as stated before, truth resides in its primary aspect in the intellect. Now since everything is true according as it has the form proper to its nature, the intellect insofar as it is knowing, must be true, so far as it has the likeness of the thing known, this being its form, as knowing. For this reason, truth is defined by the conformity of intellect and thing. And hence, to know this conformity is to know truth. But in no way can sense know this. For although sight has the likeness of a visible thing, yet it does not know the comparison which exists between the thing seen and that which itself apprehends concerning it. But the intellect can know its own conformity with the intelligible thing. Yet it does not apprehend it by knowing of a thing what a thing is. When, however, it judges that a thing corresponds to the form which it apprehends about that thing, then first it knows and expresses truth. This it does by composing and dividing. For in every proposition... It either applies to or removes from the thing signified by the subject some form signified by the predicate. And this clearly shows that the sense is true of anything, as is also the intellect, when it knows what a thing is, but it does not thereby know or affirm truth. This is in like manner the case with complex or non-complex words. Truth, therefore, may be in the senses or in the intellect knowing what a thing is, as in anything that is true yet not as the thing known in the knower, which is implied by the word truth. For the perfection of the intellect is truth as known. Therefore, properly speaking, truth resides in the intellect composing and dividing, and not in the senses, nor in the intellect knowing what a thing is. And thus the objections given are solved. Third article, whether the true and being are convertible terms. Objection 1. It seems that the true and being are not convertible terms, for the true resides properly in the intellect, as stated, but being is properly in things, therefore they are not convertible. 
Objection 2. Further, that which extends to being and not being is not convertible with being, but the true extends to being and not being. For it is true that what is, is, and that what is not, is not. Therefore the true and being are not convertible. Further, Objection 3. Things which stand to each other in order of priority and posteriority seem not to be convertible. But the true appears to be prior to being. For being is not understood except under the aspect of the true. Therefore it seems they are not convertible. On the contrary, the philosopher says that there is the same disposition of things in being and in truth. I answer that as good has the nature of what is desirable, so truth is related to knowledge. Now everything in so far as it has being, so far is it knowable. Wherefore it is said in De Anima that the soul is in a some manner all things through the senses and the intellect. And therefore as good is convertible with being, so is the true. But as good adds to being the notion of desirable, so the true adds relation to the intellect. Reply to Objection 1. The true resides in things and in the intellect, as said before, but the true that is in things is convertible with being as to substance, while the true that is in the intellect is convertible with being as the manifestation with the manifested. For this belongs to the nature of truth, as has been said already. It may, however, be said that being also is in things and in the intellect, as is the true, although truth is primarily in the intellect, while being is primarily in things. And this is so because truth and being differ in idea. Reply to Objection 2. Not being has nothing in itself whereby it can be known. Yet it is known in so far as the intellect renders it knowable. Hence the true is based on being, inasmuch as not being is a kind of logical being, apprehended, that is, by reason. Reply to Objection 3. When it is said that being cannot be apprehended except under the notion of the true, this can be understood in two ways. In the one way, so as to mean that being is not apprehended unless the idea of the true follows apprehension of being, and this is true. In the other way, so as to mean that being cannot be apprehended unless the idea of the true be apprehended also, and this is false. But the true cannot be apprehended unless the idea of being be apprehended also, since being is included in the idea of the true. The case is the same if we compare the intelligible object with being. For being cannot be understood unless being is intelligible. Yet being can be understood while its intelligibility is not understood. Similarly, being, when understood, is true. Yet the true is not understood by understanding being. Fourth article, whether good is logically prior to the true. It seems that good is logically prior to the true. For what is more universal is logically prior, as is evident from the physics, but the good is more universal than the true, since the true is a kind of good, namely of the intellect. Therefore the good is logically prior to the true. Objection 2. Further, good is in things, but the true is in the intellect, composing and dividing, as said above. But that which is in things is prior to that which is in the intellect. Therefore, good is logically prior to the true. 
Objection 3. Further, truth is a species of virtue, as is clear from the ethics. But virtue is included under good, since, as Augustine says, it is a good quality of the mind. Therefore, the good is prior to the true. On the contrary, what is in more things is prior logically, but the true is in some things wherein good is not, as, for instance, in mathematics. Therefore, the true is prior to good. I answer that. Although the good and the true are convertible with being as to suppositum, yet they differ logically. And in this manner the true, speaking absolutely, is prior to good, as appears from two reasons. First, because the true is more closely related to being than is good, for the true regards being itself simply and immediately, while the nature of good follows being in so far as being is in some way perfect, for thus it is desirable. Secondly, it is evident from the fact that knowledge naturally precedes appetite. Hence, since the true regards knowledge, but the good regards the appetite, the true must be prior in idea to the good. Reply to objection 1. The will and the intellect mutually include one another. For the intellect understands the will, and the will wills the intellect to understand. So then, among things directed to the object of the will are comprised also those that belong to the intellect, and conversely. Whence, in the order of things desirable, good stands as the universal, and the true as the particular, whereas in the order of intelligible things, the converse is the case. From the fact, then, that the true is a kind of good, it follows that the good is prior in the order of things desirable, but not that it is prior absolutely. Reply to objection 2. A thing is prior logically in so far as it is prior to the intellect. Now the intellect apprehends primarily being itself. Secondly, it apprehends that it understands being. And thirdly, it apprehends that it desires being. Hence the idea of being is first, that of truth second, and the idea of good third, though good is in things. Reply to objection 3. The virtue which is called truth is not truth in general, but a certain kind of truth according to which man shows himself in deed and word as he really is. But truth as applied to life is used in a particular sense, inasmuch as a man fulfills in his life that to which he is ordained by the divine intellect, as it has been said that truth exists in other things. Whereas the truth of justice is found in man as he fulfills his duty to his neighbor as ordained by law. Hence we cannot argue from these particular truths to truth in general. Fifth article, whether God is truth. Objection one, it seems that God is not truth, for truth consists in the intellect composing and dividing, but in God there is not composition and division, therefore in him there is not truth. Objection 2. Further, truth, according to Augustine, is a likeness to the principle. But in God there is no likeness to a principle. Therefore, in God there is not truth. Objection 3. Further, whatever is said of God is said of Him as of the first cause of all things. Thus, the being of God is the cause of all being, and His goodness is the cause of all good. If, therefore, there is truth in God, all truth will be from Him. But it is true that someone sins... Therefore this will be from God, which is evidently false. On the contrary, our Lord says, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. I answer that. As said above, truth is found in the intellect according as it apprehends a thing as it is, and in things according as they have being conformable to an intellect. This is to the greatest degree found in God, for his being is not only conformed to his intellect, but it is the very act of his intellect. And his act of understanding is the measure and cause of every other being and of every other intellect. And he himself is his own existence and act of understanding. Whence it follows not only that truth is in him, but that he is truth itself and the sovereign and first truth. Reply to Objection 1. Although in the divine intellect there is neither composition nor division, yet in his simple act of intelligence he judges of all things and knows all things complex, and thus there is truth in his intellect. Reply to Objection 2. The truth of our intellect is according to its conformity with its principle, that is to say, to the things from which it receives knowledge. The truth also of things is according to their conformity with their principle, namely the divine intellect. Now this cannot be said properly speaking of divine truth, unless perhaps insofar as truth is appropriated to the Son, who has a principle. But if we speak of divine truth in its essence, we cannot understand this unless the affirmative must be resolved into the negative, as when one says, the Father is of himself because he is not from another. Similarly, the divine truth can be called a likeness to the principle inasmuch as his existence is not dissimilar to his intellect. Reply to Objection 3. Not being and privation have no truth of themselves, but only in the apprehension of the intellect. Now all apprehension of the intellect is from God. Hence all the truth that exists in the statement that a person commits fornication is true, is entirely from God. But to argue, therefore, that this person fornicates is from God is a fallacy of accident. Sixth article, whether there is only one truth according to which all things are true. Objection 1. It seems that there is only one truth according to which all things are true. For according to Augustine, nothing is greater than the mind of man except God. Now truth is greater than the mind of man, otherwise the mind would be the judge of truth, whereas in fact it judges all things according to truth and not according to its own measure. Therefore God alone is truth. Therefore there is no other truth but God. Objection 2. Further, Anselm says that as is the relation of time to temporal things, so is that of truth to true things. But there is only one time for all temporal things. Therefore, there is only one truth by which all things are true. On the contrary, it is written, truths are decayed from among the children of men. I answer that in one sense, truth whereby all things are true is one. And in another sense, it is not in proof of which we must consider that when anything is predicated of many things univocally, it is found in each of them according to its proper nature, as animal is found in each species of animal. But when anything is predicated of many things analogically, it is found in only one of them according to its proper nature, 
and from this one the rest are denominated. So healthiness is predicated of animal, of urine and of medicine. Not that health is only in the animal, but from the health of the animal medicine is called healthy, insofar as it is the cause of health, and urine is called healthy insofar as it indicates health. And although health is neither in medicine nor in urine, yet in either there is something whereby the one causes and the other indicates health. Now we have said that truth resides primarily in the intellect and secondarily in things, according as they are related to the divine intellect. If therefore we speak of truth as it exists in the intellect, according to its proper nature, then are many, there are many truths and many created intellects, and even one and the same intellect, according to the number of things known. Whence a gloss on the Psalms says, Truths are decayed from among the children of men, as from one man's face many likenesses are reflected in a mirror, so many truths are reflected from the one divine truth. But if we speak of truth as it is in things, then all things are true by one primary truth, to which each one is assimilated according to its own entity. And thus, although the essences or forms of things are many, yet the truth of the divine intellect is one, in conformity to which all things are said to be true. Reply to Objection 1. The soul does not judge of things according to any kind of truth, but according to the primary truth, inasmuch as it is reflected in the soul as in a mirror, by reason of the first principles of the understanding. It follows, therefore, that the primary truth is greater than the soul. And yet even created truth, which resides in our intellect, is greater than the soul, not simply, but in a certain degree, insofar as it is its perfection, even as science may be said to be greater than the soul. Yet it is true that nothing subsisting is greater than the rational soul except God. Reply to Objection 2. The saying of Anselm is correct insofar as things are said to be true by their relation to the divine intellect. Seventh article, whether created truth is eternal. Objection 1. It seems that created truth is eternal. For Augustine says, Nothing is more eternal than the nature of a circle, and that two added to three make five. But the truth of these is a created truth, therefore created truth is eternal. Objection two. Further, that which is always is eternal. But universals are always and everywhere, therefore they are eternal. So therefore is truth, which is the most universal. Objection three. Further, it was always true that what is true in the present was to be in the future. But as the truth of a proposition regarding the present is a created truth, so is that of a proposition regarding the future. Therefore, some created truth is eternal. Objection 4. Further, all that is without beginning and end is eternal. But the truth of renunciables is without beginning and end. For if their truth had a beginning, since it was not before, it was true that truth was not, and true, of course, by reason of truth, so that truth was before it began to be. Similarly, if it be asserted that truth has an end, it follows that it is after it has ceased to be, for it will still be true that truth is not. 
Therefore, truth is eternal. On the contrary, God alone is eternal, as laid down before. I answer that the truth of enunciations is no other than the truth of the intellect. For an enunciation resides in the intellect and in speech. Now, according as it is in the intellect, it has truth of itself. But according as it is in speech, it is called enunciable truth, according as it signifies some truth of the intellect, not on account of any truth residing in the enunciation, as though in a subject. Thus, urine is called healthy, not from any health within it, but from the health of the animal, which it indicates. In like manner, it has already been said that things are called true from the truth of the intellect. Hence, if no intellect were eternal, no truth would be eternal. Now, because only the divine intellect is eternal, in it alone truth has eternity. Nor does it follow from this that anything else but God is eternal, since the truth of the divine intellect is God himself, as shown already. Reply to Objection 1. The nature of a circle and the fact that two and three make five have eternity in the mind of God. Reply to Objection 2. That something is always and everywhere can be understood in two ways. In one way, as having in itself the power of extension to all time and to all places, as it belongs to God to be everywhere and always. In the other way, as not having in itself determination to any place or time, as primary matter is said to be one, not because it has one form, but by the absence of all distinguishing form. In this manner, all universals are said to be everywhere and always, insofar as universals are independent of place and time. It does not, however, follow from this that they are eternal, except in an intellect, if one exists that is eternal. Reply to Objection 3. That which now is, was future before it actually was, because it was in its cause that it would be. Hence, if the cause were removed, that things coming to be were not in future. But the first cause is alone eternal. Hence, it does not follow that it was always true that what now is would be, except insofar as its future being was in the sempiternal cause, and God alone is such a cause. Reply to Objection 4. Because our intellect is not eternal, neither is the truth of enunciable propositions which are formed by us eternal, but it had a beginning in time. Now, before such truth existed, it was not true to say that such a truth did exist, except by reason of the divine intellect, wherein alone truth is eternal. But it is true now to say that the truth did not then exist, and this is true only by reason of the truth that is now in our intellect, and not by reason of any truth in the things. For this is truth concerning not being, and not being has not truth of itself, but only so far as our intellect apprehends it. Hence it is true to say that truth did not exist in so far as we apprehend its not being as preceding its being. Eighth article, whether truth is immutable. Objection one, it seems that truth is immutable. For Augustine says that truth and mind do not rank as equals, otherwise truth would be mutable as the mind is. 
Objection 2. Further, what remains after every change is immutable, as primary matter is unbegotten and incorruptible, since it remains after all generation and corruption. But truth remains after all change, for after every change it is true to say that a thing is or is not. Therefore truth is immutable. Objection 3. Further, if truth of an enunciation changes, it changes mostly with the changing of the thing. But it does not thus change, for truth, according to Anselm, is a certain rightness, insofar as a thing answers to that which is in the divine mind concerning it. But this proposition that Socrates sits receives from the divine mind the signification that Socrates does sit, and it has the same signification even though he does not sit. Therefore the truth of the proposition in no way changes. Objection 4. Further, where there is the same cause, there is the same effect. But the same thing is the cause of the truth of the three propositions, Socrates sits, will sit, sat. Therefore the truth of each is the same. But one or other of these must be the true one. Therefore the truth of these propositions remains immutable, and for the same reason that of any other. On the contrary, it is written, Truths are decayed from among the children of men. I answer that truth, properly speaking, resides only in the intellect, as said before. But things are called true in virtue of the truth residing in an intellect. Hence the mutability of truth must be regarded from the point of view of the intellect, the truth of which consists in its conformity to the thing understood. Now this conformity may vary in two ways, even as any other likeness, through change in one of the two extremes. Hence, in one way, truth varies on the part of the intellect from the fact that a change of opinion occurs about a thing which in itself has not changed. And in another way, when the thing is changed, but not the opinion. And in either way, there can be a change from true to false. If, then, there is an intellect wherein there can be no alternation of opinions, and the knowledge of which nothing can escape, in this is immutable truth. Now such is the divine intellect, as is clear from what has been said before. Hence the truth of the divine intellect is immutable, but the truth of our intellect is mutable, not because it is itself the subject of change, but insofar as our intellect changes from truth to falsity, for thus forms may be called mutable, Whereas the truth of the divine intellect is that according to which natural things are said to be true, and this is altogether immutable. Reply to Objection 1. Augustine is speaking of divine truth. Reply to Objection 2. The true and being are convertible terms, hence just as being is not generated nor corrupted of itself, but accidentally, insofar as this being or that is corrupted or generated, as is said in the physics, so does truth change, not so as that no truth remains, but because that truth does not remain which was before. Reply to Objection 3. A proposition not only has truth as other things are said to have it, insofar that is as they correspond to that which is the design of the divine intellect concerning them, but it is said to have truth in a special way, insofar as it indicates the truth of the intellect, which consists in the conformity of the intellect with a thing. When this disappears, the truth of an opinion changes, and consequently the truth of the proposition. 
So therefore this proposition Socrates sits is true as long as he is sitting, both with the truth of the thing, insofar as the expression is significative, and with the truth of signification, insofar as it signifies a true opinion. When Socrates rises, the first truth remains, but the second is changed. Reply to Objection 4. The sitting of Socrates, which is the cause of the truth of the proposition Socrates sits, has not the same meaning when Socrates sits, after he sits, and before he sits. And the truth which results varies and is variously signified by these propositions concerning present, past, or future. Thus it does not follow, though one of the three propositions is true, that the same truth remains invariable. The end of question 16.